All right, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter or Psalm 122. Psalm 122, it's on 656 if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chair in front of you. It's not quite officially summer, but we're going to jump into our summer sermon series and every other year we spend the summer in the Psalms in the odd years. And so if you've been thinking, this has been an odd year, uh, well, perfect, because that's when we spend our summers in the Psalms, and we're going to jump in this summer by looking at Psalm 122. So please turn with me there. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word, Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much that you have given us your word, that you reveal yourself to us through your word and spirit, and most of all through the person and work of your Son, We thank you that um, in the Psalms we see so many different things and we learn so many wonderful things about you, but also about us and our needs. And I thank you, Lord, that we really see a full range of emotion in the Psalms from incredible joy to the depths of sorrow. So we pray that as we study the Psalms again this summer that... uh, You will use it in a mighty way to help us know you more and experience more of your grace and show it to others as well as we continue to seek to fulfill our mission to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations. Bless our time now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would imagine that some of us are starting to look forward to some of the things that we'll do this summer. I saw a couple lists of things that people look forward to the most As far as uh, summer is considered, going to the beach, going to concerts, uh, going on vacation. And what's interesting about that is studies show that having something to look forward to plays a big part in our happiness. In fact, uh, some would say that the anticipation of something good can sometimes be better than the actual thing itself. So as, as, as we have things that we're looking forward to, that's a very good thing for us. We want to always have things to look forward to. And one of the things that's beautiful about the Christian life is, it is a, it's a life of looking forward to something. Because we see in the scriptures that the, the best of what God has for us is always yet to come. That will come in the future when Christ returns and makes all things New And so our whole lives as Christians is a life of looking forward, but also we have the opportunity to be looking forward on a regular basis, to be excited about things that are right in front of us. And one of the things that we can 
do this morning as we begin to jump back into the Psalms is to see that in Psalm 122, David shows us this great excitement about going to the house of the Lord for worship. In fact, one of the things that we should understand as Christians is that God wants us to have a high value for corporate worship and to prioritize corporate worship and even to look forward to it. Even that we would get excited when we know that it's time to go to church for worship. And I think, you know, it can be very easy for us as Christians to forget why we're here. Uh, We can kind of get distracted with everything that's going on in life. So this morning, as we look at Psalm 122, just want to focus on the fact that as Christians, we should value and prioritize and even look forward to being together in corporate worship each week. And to see that from Psalm 122, we'll talk about three things, talk about passion for worship. First, we see David's passion for going to the house of the Lord for worship. Then second, we'll talk about the purposes of worship. There's two key things that I want to draw out here as far as helping us remember why we come here, what we're doing here together. And then third, the peace from worship. As you'll notice in that third strophe of the psalm, it says the word peace three times. So we will see how there's peace that comes to us and among us uh, from our time in worship together each week. So uh, let's jump in, look at verse 1 and 2, that first strophe of the psalm, and let's talk about passion for worship. When you look at verse 1, And two, what you really see is David's passion for being together in gathered worship. Look at verse one. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Now, it's important to understand that when he talks about going up to the house of the Lord, he's talking about going up to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, later would be the temple, the place where God's people would gather together for worship. In this case, all the tribes will come, as we see uh, later in the psalm. But he's hearing that it's time to go up to the house of the Lord. So he's, in other words, in our context, we would say somebody just said to him, hey, it's time to go to church. It's time to go to worship. And he says, I'm glad. And you got to realize, though, that that word glad, we don't always use that about great excitement. You know, I'm glad I went to that movie, we might say, because it was okay or something like that. The word he's using here is it's much fuller than that. In fact, some translations say, I rejoiced. I took great delight when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. In other words, he's got this excitement about gathering with God's people and worshiping God at the place of meeting. And so then in verse 2, he actually, it looks as if he's imagining already being there. Uh, Verse 2 says, our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And some scholars look at that, and and the way it's worded in the Hebrew, it looks like maybe he's sort of imagining that moment when he's standing there at the gates of Jerusalem, ready to go on to the tabernacle for worship. You ever had that experience where you're so excited about something, you're envisioning it, you're imagining being there? One of the uh, things that my family is looking forward to this summer is our annual drive to Minnesota, which is a quick 24 hours. And, um, you know, we do this every summer and we, we love it. And we love going up there and seeing family and friends. And uh, one of the things that we do is we're, we're straight through kind of people. So we drive through the night and um, we do that because we're, um, what's the word? Oh yeah, insane. And, um, but it, it speeds, you know, it's, it's just so much less time on the road, right? So we love to get there. And since we're going to do that, one of us is going to have to drive 
through the night. And so that's me. And um, there's a couple things that I do to stay awake and therefore alive. And uh, one of those things is, and I'm just going to tell you this in case you have to do like an all-night drive. I, I dance a little, to be honest with you. What I do, everybody else is sleeping, and I put one earbud in, and I play some music, and I just I play the drums, you know, drive with my knees or whatever, and my hands are swinging all around. And um, it was really funny because last summer, it was about four in the morning, and I was, I mean, my hands were just going all over the place, right? I'm just quietly having a blast. And everybody's asleep, but my son woke up, and I just hear him say, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> and I said, I'm staying alive, buddy. And then uh, he brings that up all the time. Dad, remember when I saw you dancing in the car? So that's, that's one thing that I do, just to stay awake in those uh, middle-of-the-night hours. But the other thing, and I, this is what made me think of this when... The scholars, when I was reading the commentaries, it was saying that David's like imagining himself being there. He's so excited. I will imagine arriving. I will see in my mind as we're driving that moment when we pull into my parents' driveway and they come out to greet us. You know, I'm so excited for that moment. I kind of see it uh, all along the journey. And so I was thinking about this and seeing David so excited about going to worship that he's even imagining being there. And I was asking myself, I mean, is that how excited I am about gathering together for worship on Sunday morning? Is that, is that reflective of how excited I am to be here together with you? And I was thinking about that. And maybe some of you got here and when your feet hit the ground, you're like, yes, we are finally here. And I hope that's true because in a very real way, it should be. That we should have this passion for worship, this excitement to gather together in God's presence. Our desire to worship our God is in many ways a thermometer for our desire for God. Our understanding of who he is and how glorious he really is. And so there, there should be in us this passion to worship him. Our passion for worship can be reflective of our passion for God. So we don't want a low-level appreciation of worship. We want a very high appreciation for corporate worship, for what we're doing here. God wants to rescue us from a low-level appreciation of corporate worship. And he does that here by showing us some of the purposes for worship. So let's talk about that. Look at verses 3 through 5, that second part of the psalm. 3 through 5, let's talk about the purposes for worship. There's several things we could point out here, but the two key things I want to look at is that one of the purposes of worship is for recognizing God's grace, recognizing God's grace. And the other thing we want to see here is one of the other purposes of worship is being realigned with God's will. Okay. Realigned with God's will. So we want to see that when we come to worship, we're recognizing God's grace and we're being realigned with his will. Take a look at verses 3 through 5. Notice in verse 3, he's talking about Jerusalem and how it's this amazing place. Verse 4, he starts talking about the tribes coming. And then at the end of verse 4, he says why they're there. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. And then verse 5, he says, their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. So kind of imagine now uh, the tribes are coming in. Everybody's coming to the tabernacle to worship. And they're coming to, number one, to give thanks. In fact, they're commanded to do so. If you notice in verse 4, it says, as was decreed for Israel. God had commanded his people 
to come and worship him and to come and give thanks in his presence. And so the first thing that we see then is that to give thanks. We're here to give thanks. We're here to praise God. We're here to recognize the amazing grace that he's shown to us in Christ and the amazing grace he's showing to us all day, every day. God commands us to come and thank him, to have thankful hearts towards him. Now, why would he command that? Well, a big reason for that is, if you think about it, when you receive something, part of enjoying it is the thanking, right? Sometimes you can't even really fully enjoy someone until you've said that full thank you to whoever it's from. That's a big part of what what God is doing here. He's not calling us to be thankful to him for his sake, but really for ours. And so when we come to worship, we should be ready to show our gratitude for God's amazing grace, to recognize all the grace that he's shown to us. And, and it really is, it really can be a very uh, life-giving, fulfilling thing, right, to show thanks. I mean, think about this. Uh, a couple months ago, a lot of us here went to a great retirement party. Uh, Mike Osborne, do you remember him? Do you remember Mike? Okay. Um, Yes, we, we, we got together, right? And we had this big party and there was a couple hundred people and there was singing and there was all sorts of things we were doing and writing cards of showing our thanks and gratitude to God for Mike and Susie and the way they served this church faithfully for 18 years. And we were gathered together and we were having so much fun because we were there out of this spirit of we're so thankful to God for Mike, for Susie. And it's interesting, as we were celebrating, multiple times people kept coming up to me and they'd say, we need to do this more often. And I realized, yeah, we should. We should just get together in the evenings and, and be thankful for stuff. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? And then as I was thinking about it this week, I'm like, I was realizing, wow, God actually calls us to come together and be thankful every week. He wants that to be a part of what worship is, that we thank him for his grace, that we thank him for the many ways he has cared for us. And at, at the very least, this is one of the things I love about our faith, that even if our life is absolutely crashing down around us, if we are believers, we can at the very least be eternally and immensely thankful for the gospel. Right? The fact that no matter what happens in our life, Jesus has paid our debt, our sins are forgiven. We've received that forgiveness through faith alone, not through anything we've done Through faith, we've been declared righteous. We've been promised that eternal life. A life, eternal life of celebration. And so even if we're at our worst moment of our lives, we still can be profoundly thankful for the gospel itself. Imagine our passion for worship if through the week we kind of kept a running tab on all the things we are thankful for. And then, not that we can't thank God at any moment of any time of any day, but thinking about doing that together corporately and lifting up our thanks. It's a beautiful thing. That helps us develop a passion for worship. The second thing, the second thing. So we want to recognize God's grace in worship. We also, we want to be realigned with his will. Realigned with his will. Why do I say that? Look at verse 5 again. David said, There, thrones for judgment were set the thrones of the house of david now that word judgment it's he's not using it in the punitive sense in other words not saying judgment for sin it's a hebrew word that you could also translate it as they're the thrones of justice or even prescription law regulation 
In other words, David is acknowledging that there is a source of right and wrong. That when they come to worship, they're not only thanking God, but they're being reminded of what is right and what is wrong, how God wants us to live, which helps us not only confess our sin, but then also realize the ways in which we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live differently, live more in line with what God has designed us to be. And we need that realignment each week. We need to be re-centered on who God is and his love for us and how he wants us to go about our days and to the things that we're called to do. We sing this, right? We actually, there's a song, there's a hymn that we sing quite a bit and we're, we, we nail this exact point in Come Thou Fount when we say, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And so, you know, we recognize that we, we tend to walk away. But then, so what we do, we turn and we say, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. In other words, we're saying, I recognize that I tend to get off the path. I tend to walk forgetting about your grace. I tend to forget that I'm here to glorify and enjoy you. And, and then we say, so, so take my heart, Lord. Get me back in line with how you want me to live. Not to earn something. Jesus has earned all that we'll ever need for us. We get that for free through faith in him. But to experience the transforming grace of God. As we come together, God is realigning who we are. He's reconfiguring us. He's recalibrating us. All week, the world messes up our calibration. It deforms us. It knocks us out of alignment. Then when we're in his presence, we not only are thanking him, but then he's giving us a realignment with his will. You ever been in a car that needed an alignment? Have you ever had that awkward moment where you give somebody a ride and you have to keep the steering wheel turned the whole time? Because you know that you need alignment. You let it go, so does the car, right? The car is going to veer off the road because it doesn't have an alignment. So one time I knew I needed an alignment. This was when I was young and slightly less aware of things in life. And um, I, I had... I knew I had a bad alignment because my car would not stay on the road unless I held the steering wheel. And I knew that it had been knocked out of alignment by hitting a bump. And I thought, well, I'll just go back and hit that same bump. Put this thing right. So things got worse. Um, so uh, here's a pro tip. Uh, that doesn't work. Um, no, the only way that it works, a car can't realign itself. It's got to be taken to the mechanic the one who knows exactly how to get everything back in line and then send you on your way. You know, one time someone told me, I feel like sometimes when we go to worship, we just get a list of things to do. And that just broke my heart. And I bet you it grieves God's heart to think that that's what we might think worship is about. Because it's not. First, it's about thanking him, but then it's realigning. It's, it's him realigning our hearts with his heart, our wills, our will with his desire for us, our way of life with his design for our life, so that as we live as we were meant to live, we experience the power of Christ in us and the transforming grace of God. So we, we want that. We we need that. I, I, we desperately need that, right? Don't you feel that? We need alignment. We need God to make things right in us. And that's one of the things he does when we're in worship. Augustine, some of you know that name. He used to talk about how uh, we have these disordered loves. That's a big part of our problem. 
the world knocks things out of alignment and then we love things that lead to our misery or our own destruction. And on, by ourselves, we can't break, our free, break ourselves free of those loves. We love things that will destroy us. In the presence of God in worship, he's realigning our, our loves by showing us himself in Christ Seeing his glory, it it breaks our hearts free to love him, to love what he loves, to love the things that will lead to his glory and our joy. So those two key things are happening when we're in worship. We're recognizing God's grace, praising him for all that he's done and promised to us. And then we're also letting him realign our hearts with his, our lives, with his design for us. And what happens when you have a whole bunch of people that are realigned to the truth of who God is and what he calls us to. Peace. Look at that third strophe there, six through nine. Let's talk about the peace from worship. We want to have a passion for worship. We want to understand these purposes in worship. And we want to see that peace comes from worship. Notice in six through nine, three times you see the word peace, right? And anytime something's in triplicate, it's the point of the passage. So here's what David is saying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. You know what's so powerful about this is David wrote Psalm 122 before Christ came. And so there's this, there's this strong longing for peace. And the kind of peace that he's talking about here is not just sort of the peace that we might think absence of war kind of peace. The Hebrew word is actually shalom. And shalom is greater than just an absence of war. It's actually the presence of abundant prosperity. He actually, there's a pun here. He says, uh, in verse 6, it literally says, pray for the shalom of Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's doing that on purpose to, to, to focus us on that peace that he's praying for. Well, here's the thing. Christ has come. Christ is the fulfillment of that shalom. We're actually living in the time after the cross of Christ. And so that shalom is so much more available to us now. Christ has enabled you and I to experience the very peace that David was praying for. And that happens as we are recognizing God's grace and as we are being realigned with God's will for us. As we have Christ in us and we are experiencing the transforming power of the gospel, it leads to more and more peace among us as a congregation. Because we're ultimately, through Christ, we know we're at peace with God and that allows us to be at peace with ourselves. And when we're at peace with ourselves, it allows us to be at peace with others. In fact, that's exactly what one person, Thomas Merton, once said. We are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. We are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. Well, in Christ, we know we're at peace with God. That helps us to be at peace with ourselves. That helps us to be at peace with one another. An amazing kind of peace that the world can't create. Why? Well, because we're all being realigned to the same truth from the one true God and King of Peace. We're being tuned to the same instrument, as it were. You know, if you've seen an orchestra play, um, anybody know the instrument that, by and large, for the most part, there's one instrument that plays an A, 
And then every instrument in the orchestra will tune to that. Do you know what the instrument is? Somebody said it. Oboe. Okay. Now there's all these theories on why. Don't read them. It's not very exciting. But it is true that the oboe will play an A. And then all the instruments will tune to that. And that's essential if it's going to sound good. Because you, you know you can tune an instrument to itself? Like you can tune a violin so it sounds good by itself. And you can tune another violin so that it sounds good by itself. But if those two try to play together, one time I was at a piano recital and um, there were going to be some kids that were going to be playing violin and they were beginners. And so there was a dad in front of me who had one of the kids that would be playing uh, violin. And he turned around. He said, you ever been to one of these? I said, no. He goes, it's going to be rough. And uh, now hold on, now hold on. What he was getting at is they were just learning, right? They were just learning. And if you're a kid and you're playing a violin, keep with it, no matter what people say. Because in the beginning, it might sound a little rough. But what happens is you practice and you grow and you begin to be able to play this beautiful, beautiful music by yourself. But not just by yourself. What also happens is you learn to tune. And the, all the instruments then tune to that one oboe A. And then with all the instruments tuned to the same note, beautiful music takes place. That's a picture of that peace that we are able to have as we are tuned to Christ, so to speak. He's realigning us. We're thanking him and that enables us to welcome his realignment and he realigns us and we're all tuned to one another to make beautiful music. I mean, that's what David said. Look at verse 9. Look how it ends. He said he wants to seek each other's good. Seek your good, he says. I will seek your good. Because he knows that as, as he's got this passion for worship and as he's experiencing the purposes in worship, it transforms him. It gives him peace so much so that he wants to seek the good of his brothers and sisters and companions. And what that does is that forms among us a peace that the world just cannot create. You see, when a bunch of people learn something together, they can then go and live it together, right? If we all learn things together, then we can live things together. I read this interesting story about this uh, man who was watching with his friends. He was watching this TV show pretty popular TV show. And as he was watching the show, all of his friends noticed that one of the episodes had this scene in which a woman came into an office and taught a lesson on CPR. And they all, well, they would talk about this lesson uh, a lot because it apparently is a funny scene. Anyway, in that scene, this woman teaches how to do CPR and she says that the, you have to do 100 beats per minute. That's how you do it. For chest compressions, 100 beats per minute. And she said the way you can remember that is by singing the song, Staying Alive. Ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive, right, right? You can't tell. Okay, we'll stop there. All right, so, but I want you to think about that. Now, they had all learned that, that that's how you do CPR. That's, that's the only training they'd ever had. Now, fast forward to another time in this young man's life, and he's driving down the road, and he sees a woman who's pulled over and half hanging out of her car. And so he gets out, he pulls over, he gets out behind her, he comes up and pulls her the rest of the way out of the car. She is unconscious, she is not breathing, he is freaking out. He has no idea what to do until 
he remembers staying alive and he starts to do chest compressions he calls 911 and he starts those chest compressions staying alive staying alive and he keeps doing that until the paramedics arrive and she was resuscitated right as they arrived and the paramedics told him if he had not done that she would have died see he had learned that with his friends and then he was able to live it out And we come here and we're, we're looking at, at the word of God and we're, we're studying God, we're knowing God, we're knowing Christ. And so we're learning, he's realigning who we are and we're looking at what love is when we look at Christ. And that then, having learned what love is, it enables us to live it out with one another. We're looking at who the grace personified, right? When we see Christ in the word. And as we see, as we learn what grace is, we're able to show grace to one another. We're learning what it looks like to forgive each other and then we live it out with one another. We're able to forgive each other. And that creates peace, the kind of peace that then we want to spread to our neighbors and the nations. Which is why our mission is not just to worship but also to make disciples. So that's why as Christians, we should value and prioritize and look forward to corporate worship. Let's grow in our passion for it. Let's think about those purposes and let's enjoy the sweet, sweet peace that we can have with one another. All because of Christ, the answer to the prayer for peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you give us this opportunity and ability to see glimpses of the future see glimpses of what it'll be like when you've made us all perfectly like christ in the new heavens and new earth thank you that that not only is a promise that we have ahead of us but also an experience even now that we can experience being realigned reformed made more like christ even now let that gratitude that you've called us to and the realignment with your will that you bring about in us as we worship you let those things truly bring about the peace that will point to the king of peace the prince of peace we pray in his name amen